It is good to give thanks. It is good to worship together. Um, you know, this is, this is Thanksgiving week. That just, that just struck me. And my, my, I know, and, and it's going to be this Thursday. Uh, I, that's what I hear. I think it was in all the papers. And uh, so you have travels to make, some of you. Some of you will have family traveling to meet you. Uh, this will be a blessed time. It could be a tense time. But it can always be a time where God is at work in our lives. Just a heads up about what you can expect uh, this week here. There will be no Wednesday night classes, but as a long-standing tradition here at West Ark, what we do is we all gather in here on Wednesday night. It'll be at 6.30 this Wednesday. All ages, everyone will participate. Uh, we are planning a Thanksgiving devotional, and uh, I think you will be pleased. So if you have the time to come in for about uh, 30 minutes, 45 minutes on Wednesday night, Let's all assemble down here this Wednesday, and we will sing, we will worship, we will pray, and hear God's Word in a word of encouragement. So with the holidays coming up, it might be tough for some of us. I'll just say, personally, I know that uh, holidays are a little strange. These are, the first, these are the first holidays where my mom will not be there with us. And that was, that was very odd for me on my birthday. And that's a little bit of adversity. That's a little bit of, of obstacle, of trouble, of you know, a little bit of pain. And I want to prepare you and equip you over the next five weeks with God's Word because we don't need to be afraid of that pain, whatever that pain may be. We don't need to be afraid of the adversity that comes our way. I'm... I, I like this phrase, the adversity gospel. Not that I'm saying there's some other gospel. You know, there, there's one gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, Him crucified. Uh, he was obedient to God, and God exalted Him. It's right there. But I guess I'm... This phrase came to me because you hear a lot about the prosperity gospel. And maybe you've heard about that. As I understand the prosperity gospel, and I'm no expert on the prosperity gospel. If I was, I'd be extremely rich and uh, you know, just running around casting magic spells and everything else and getting, winning every lottery that I ever want to claim. I don't understand prosperity gospel. I, 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 I know enough to know that it's also called health and wealth gospel, and it's, it's used in a lot of different ways. Probably has some good things in it, you know, some things that are, that are based on Scripture, but then it has some other extremes. I've seen probably in my life the worst versions of it, where one of the first funerals that I did in Texas, some folks who adhered to this told some of the family members uh, of this very precious and devoted woman, they said to her, if you had had more faith and prayed, your mother would not have died. I don't buy that. I don't buy that for a second. So, you know what? There's a lot of people out there that have the corner on this prosperity gospel. I want to be known as the guy who preaches the adversity gospel. No one else is doing it. I might as well do it. And besides that, 
it seems to be in Scripture that when we have struggles or difficulties, that doesn't mean that God has abandoned us, that lacking faith or being able to name our struggles with faith, that doesn't mean that God abandons us. And in fact, that when we face adversity, when we face obstacles, when we go through troubles, that doesn't mean that God is somehow punishing us. That's actually the good news that says God may be able to do more with that than we could ever do with all of our fixes and solutions. That's good news. And in fact, you see it in the gospel of Jesus Christ because here is Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the pain, the shame of the cross. That's straight out of Hebrews. That's the adversity gospel. And I want to look at some texts over the next five weeks. I want to look at some scripture. I want to look at some stories from God's word, some accounts of people who faced adversity. And yet in that adversity... They truly glorified God. I think we have to begin with James 1. James, one of the earliest New Testament writings delivered to the churches. James, the brother of Jesus, is writing this epistle to encourage Christians. And he has these words to say. Give your attention, please, to the Word of God. James 1, 1 through 18. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be made mature and complete not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed about by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances, ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will all pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat, withers the plant, its blossom falls, and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because... Having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, when tested, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change 
like shifting shadows. He chose to give birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. Thank God for this word of truth. A few observations here. First, let's ask ourselves, who's reading this message? Who's originally hearing this message from James? Because if we can put ourselves in the place of those hearers, it can teach us more. Notice that he addresses it to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. He uses the term diaspora. You may have heard that. That Greek term has entered the English vocabulary. And it means a scattered people. They, are, they have been taken away from their homeland. They are disoriented. These are oppressed, persecuted people. James has a message for them, and he's asking them to identify with God's people who found themselves at different times in exile in Egypt, in Babylon, scattered among the nations. These are persecuted followers of Jesus Christ. The people that James has in mind when he first writes this letter are not privileged Christians like you and I. Now, I don't mean that to shame us. I'm just saying that we often take for granted a lot of the comforts and the privileges and the protections that we have. But like many places in the world today, these Christians who were of the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, they didn't always get most favored religion status. They're in various places. They're in various circumstances. Sometimes they've given up a lot. Sometimes they've risked a lot to follow Jesus. But all of them, in some way, are facing some kind of adversity. And James wants them to know that following Jesus is not a get-out-of-trouble-free card. That in that adversity, there's opportunity for growth. And that's why James says something unusual. And we need to let it ring unusual to us. I had somebody share this verse with me recently. And you know what? I was going through adversity, and they shared this verse. Consider it pure joys, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kind. And my first reaction was, no way joy pure joy no way i'm stressed i'm struggling i'm tired i'm i had enough of this i don't want to consider that pure joy i just want it to be over but i have to realize this is scripture and i have to ask myself what's the point here and i hope you will too james says that when you face trials or tests of many kind it is your opportunity to prove your mettle, to show what you're made of. You know, we do this with a lot of lesser things, don't we? We say things like, no pain, no gain. Pain is just weakness leaving the body. What does not kill me makes me stronger. And you know, we often say that about silly stuff. Ridiculous pursuits that may be fun, but really don't matter that much. I mean, just watch for that phrase next time you see it. You know? There'll be some bloke hanging off a cliff somewhere, you know, pain is just weakness leaving the body. No, dumb is hanging off of a cliff and you're going to fall. You know? But when it comes to the real stuff, I mean the real hardships in life that we face, James is saying that is your opportunity to prove what God is making out of you and your life. That is your opportunity to see that maybe 
You're stronger than you know because the one who's giving you strength can do immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine. He says that when you, when you go through that testing, the goal is not just to shake it off, shrug it off, or to fix it. Sometimes the goal is, can you persevere? Can you endure it? And in that endurance, you gain maturity and you gain growth. Those are the words that he uses there. It sounds like the same word, maturity, completion. It's actually two different words. One is a sort of a, a, a final stage that you've finished something. The, the other one is a sense of wholeness, that everything is complete. You, you don't have any more lessons to learn, okay? It's, it's like you're a black belt Christian at that point. You have gained, and now you just need to practice it, all right? You've learned all the wisdom. But the goal, as you skip on down to verse 12, is that when we go through this, we realize that we are in the running for the crown of life. Now, don't get mistaken here and think, well, that means that i got to do this so I can earn the crown of life. No, the crown of life is a gift, and that's the true victory, is that we just have to stay in the struggle, stay in the fight, stay, in, stay on the journey and continue. So when we face adversity, our gut reaction is to say, something's wrong here. i got to make this end. i got to make this stop. And James is saying, no, 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 wait. Just wait a second. Stop and ask yourself, what's this going to produce in your life? How is God going to do something in your life for his glory? Not what do you have to say and what are the magic words and what's the proper prayer language so that God fixes this. But just wait and see what God's going to do with this. Now that may need, that may call for wisdom, right? We may need, we may need some insight as we consider it to be pure joy. We may need a perspective that we don't come up with naturally on our own. Well, thanks be to God, once again, He's looking out for us. He says, if you lack wisdom, ask for it. And notice that he says in this asking, and, and these verses can be taken in a prosperity gospel sort of way to say, oh, okay, if I concentrate really hard and if I ask for things, then I'll get whatever I want. But if I don't get it, then my asking must be wrong. And whenever we see things like receiving and giving, we always instantly go to material blessings and the things we want. And we shouldn't see it like that. God loves us so much that he knows not to give us trash, okay? And some of the stuff that we want is trash. What's coming after Thanksgiving? Say it. You kids know. What is it? I know, and everybody's already jumped to Christmas, right? Yeah. But you think about all the gifts you've ever received over the Christmases in your life, adults. I can't even remember half of them. Some of them I want back. Some of them are gone. But that's not what mattered, is it? And God knows this as well. He says, you don't need to be double-minded, meaning you don't need to have one eye on God and one eye on your own interest in the world. That's what it means to be double-minded. Later on, he'll define double-minded in, in James chapter 4. He says, don't trust in your wealth and in your status. If you're, in, if you're doing well, you're rich, you've got things going for you, you should take pride in your humility. If you're in humble circumstances, 
you should know that you're rich in God. He's reversing the logic that we're given by the world, our default logic that we sometimes, even as Christians, participate in and play games with. So we ask for wisdom. We know that God promises us that. We like James 1.5 because he says, you want wisdom? Ask for it. Have you ever thought, though, how does God deliver the wisdom? Do you just get an upgrade? My gamer friends tell me you know, that that means like, you, know, you suddenly you know, do the cheat code and you get a wisdom buff. Does that make sense to some of you gamers? It makes no sense to me whatsoever. But I'm hip and groovy like the kids today, and I use their lingo, man. <laughs> you get this little, you know, all of a sudden you got bing, you get a wisdom upgrade, and, and you're, you're suddenly insightful, and you know what's going on. I don't know that God gives us wisdom right on the spot. Why should he have to? In fact, wisdom is sometimes gained through perseverance and through spiritual growth. Nowhere in this text does he say, ask for wisdom. You get it instantly. In microseconds. Online. No. He says, ask for it. You'll get it. It may take a while because wisdom is the kind of thing that grows. It's the kind of thing that God downloads to us and gives us as we experience perseverance and spiritual growth. Just think about that next time you're praying for wisdom. That maybe we're saying, okay, God, produce in me the kind of godly wisdom that allows me to see the world the way you see it. Wisdom differs from intelligence because with intelligence, you can be knowing a lot of things, all right? You can win a trivia contest. You can score on Jeopardy, even if Jeopardy asked the wrong questions about the Bible. You still know that Paul didn't write Hebrews, or at least you can't prove it. Well done, Jeopardy. But that's just facts. That's knowledge. You can quote Scripture straight from your memory. But if you don't own it and live it, it's just intelligence. It's just knowledge. Wisdom takes time. It's the sort of thing that we experience. Now, one of the reasons God gives us the church is that we have wisdom among us. And God wants us to turn to one another, to mentors, to shepherds. And we seek out that godly wisdom. If we don't have it, we borrow it from others for a while. And then when we have that wisdom and it's worked in us, instead of giving it back to those that we've borrowed it from, we give it to those who need it later on. When we're all learning to wait patiently on God. When we go through adversity, ask for wisdom and persevere to wait for God to develop that wisdom in us. Because adversity is just a test. It's only a test. Sometimes that test can be rather alarming. James says, He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all He created. James is reading Genesis here. You know, does everybody understand that right now, this world that we're living in, we're on at least plan B, right? This is the break-in-case-of-glass version of the world that we're living in. This is not how it's supposed to be. 
And that's, that's what makes sin present in the world is because a lot of things are not how they're supposed to be. So if you think that somehow, right now, we're going to live our best life right now, no, our best life is yet to come. Right now, we're going through a test. Now, this test is not an exam that we have to pass to get to the next level. This test is not God playing games with us and playing tricks on us. He's not doing the candid camera thing on us where he's going to trip us up, where he's going to, you know, be sneaky with us. You know, like, here, let me just shake them up and see how, how they like that. That's not it. This is, this is the test of proving. When James says that adversity comes to us, he doesn't say that God is doing those things. In fact, he'll tell us, God, don't say God is the one testing me. God's not tested or tested by or tested with evil. James will actually say when that adversity just kind of comes along because we live in this broken plan B world, it's going to happen. And we can, though, use adversity to excuse our sinfulness. So good, decent people like you and I find ourselves in difficult circumstances, and somehow, because the circumstances are not what we consider normal, we think, well, this is my excuse. This is my excuse to indulge myself. This is my excuse to misbehave. This is my excuse to be angry. Because it's not me, it's them. This is my excuse to be resentful because you don't know what they did to me. This is my excuse to take matters into my own hand and to settle this. And God will sort out the difference and I'll ask forgiveness later. Watch out, friends. Watch out. Because when that happens, yeah, and it's happened to me, and when that happens, we think that somehow we're justified because the circumstances are unusual. You need to understand that when those circumstances come along, that's where God's waiting to see, okay, show me what you're made of. Show me what, show me what I've done in you. That God has trained us up and he has prepared us, and because we live close to him, he wants to see. And ultimately the test comes down to this. Are we going to trust in God are we going to trust in our own expectations and outcomes of how things are supposed to be? When Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays like no one else prayed for a change of plans. All that language about let this cup pass from me is language that says, let's figure out a different way, God. There's got to be a way where we save everybody and we don't do this crucifixion thing. That's Jesus' prayer. And I think Jesus believes that in his heart. And to those who say you've got to have enough faith and you can get whatever you want, well, here's Jesus. He's praying for this. Are you telling me he just needed more faith? I don't think that makes sense. Because Jesus' prayer eventually says, I will persevere, Father, because I will trust in you. Your will be done. Not my own. In fact, my will will be your will. When we get to that level of maturity, when we get to that level of faith, then we are trusting that God 
carries us through whatever test we're facing. And in fact, what he's doing is he's trying to perfect us and create a sort of first fruits in us. He's, he means to use us as the example of what God always intended. And we're learning on our way what it means to reflect that. So we ask for wisdom. And when we ask for wisdom, we know the truth. But once again, this isn't the truth of simply facts and intelligence. Yeah, there's things we need to know. And yeah, there's things we should be aware of. And yes, we need to read Scripture. Reading Scripture is a spiritual discipline that forms us into the image of God. It reprograms our worldly thinking so that we think more like God. But you have to put it in more than just your mind. You've got to put it into your heart, and you've got to put it into practice. James will say that. Show me your faith, not just by your your words, but by your deeds, by what you do. So this knowing truth is more than just knowing a lot of facts. It means that we know truth the way you know somebody. You know, we love, to, we love to talk about this sometimes. And we talk about it with some of the folks around here when somebody says, boy, you know, I, I really wished I knew how to you know, repair the the broken electrical circuits in my house, and somebody says, well, I know a guy. I wished I knew what to do about the problem that I've got with these uh, you know, little pests invading my home and termites. Well, I know a guy. Man, I've got to do something about the foundation on my house. I know a guy. I need somebody to bail me out of jail. I know a guy. We say that. That means you know somebody, you're familiar with somebody. When we need to know the truth, guess what? We know a guy. We know a guy who is our Lord. And he not only gives us the truth, he is the truth, right? Yeah, he is the truth. And when Pilate asks, what is truth? Does he realize that truth is standing right in front of him? Ask for wisdom, brother or sister. Ask for the truth. We'll have more to say in just a moment, but right now I think it's appropriate for us to gather around the Lord's Supper table where the one who is the truth, the Lord who comes to represent the truth of God and to show us what faithful endurance looks like, He invites us to His table. And he invites us to share in his person, his presence. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would be with us as we meditate and focus on these words of truth. That these words of truth will develop in us the kind of perseverance and faith that matures us and causes us to grow. Father, we confess to you that often we are We're just kind of consumed by our our worldliness and our anxieties and our worries. We let that get in the way of becoming the kind of people you want us to be. Father, we ask that you would um, teach us how to glorify your name in all creation and to be the stewards and the servants that you always called us to be in the Genesis Plan A 
And Father, help us today as we gather around the Lord's table to see in that the one who sets the example for all of us of what it means to be truly your servant and truly human the way you always intended us to be. We pray this in his name. Amen.